Hello and welcome to the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. We have a great show today, so stay tuned. What's up, guys? It's Jay Sauce here with Hot Rod. How's it going, Rod? It's going good, man. You know, Rod got the win last night, so I'm feeling real good. Oh, he got a little lucky last night. <laughs> we'll get into that. But um, so we can get started right now. So we got a, a new bit we're doing. It's called You Decide. And it's where, you know, I'm going to give a statement and Rod's got to tell me if he agrees or disagrees and why. So first one, let's get right into it then. So Donovan Mitchell's been playing great this offseason. Some people can argue that he's been playing like he should be rookie of the year, but who knows? Um, so my question for you, Rodney, is, is Donovan Mitchell already better than Gordon Hayward was? Or I say was because he's injured right now, so we don't know exactly how he's going to be when he comes back. But is Donovan Mitchell already better for the Jazz than Gordon Hayward was? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would say as of right now, yeah, because they beat a tough OKC team that I'm not sure they would be if they had the team that they had last year with Gordon. Um, and Donovan Mitchell uh-huh. just has that. He just has that it factor where. He's one of those players that can really rise above, you know, and when everyone's not playing well and just really take over a game. And Hayward can do that too, but I don't think to the level that Mitchell has even, you know, as a rookie. So I think he's a better fit. And I think that team that they have just fits Mitchell better than what they had with Hayward. Really? You think... You think this team, why? Because of like players like Rubio and Ingles? Yeah. I mean, they had Ingles last year, but I think Mitchell just brings that like scoring that they needed. Yeah. And Hayward, yeah, he's a good scorer, but he's not a guy that you want to count on as your number one. Um, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Every night, like he can be a number one at night at times, but like I mean, on Boston right now, you, I mean, fully healthy, it's him and Kyrie. Like you know, Kyrie's gonna be the main yeah. guy, and he's gonna play second fiddle. So he, that's like perfect for him. Like kind of to the sense of Paul George. Like Paul uh-huh. George, like is really really good, but if you count on him to be your best player, you know you're gonna be disappointed at times. But as the second best player, like Paul George is probably one of the best second best players in the league. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, I actually agree with you a lot. I think Donovan Mitchell's already proven, like you were saying, he has that aggressive mentality as the number one guy to just go for it, regardless of um, if he's having a bad shooting night, he's still going to be aggressive and he's going to take the blame when they lose. He's not going to take the credit when they win. He's going to pass it on to his teammates. And that's what you want in your best player and a leader and I guess just to give you some stats I saw this on SportsCenter the other night Gordon Hayward in his time with the Jazz won four playoff games in seven seasons Donovan Mitchell's already won five 
in his rookie season. Now, you can credit that a lot, I guess, to the team and the development too, but to just think about what Donovan Mitchell is doing as a rookie, being the leading scorer on the team, being the go-to player down the stretch to beat a number one seed like the Rockets even one time in this series is great considering a lot of people wrote them off at the start of the year as maybe barely making the playoffs or not even making the playoffs after losing Gordon Hayward and George Hill and you know all the all the turnover they had on the roster and I'm gonna give you some more stats here just comparing Donovan Mitchell and Gordon Hayward's numbers so this is Gordon Hayward's last year on the Jazz so Gordon Hayward averaged 21.9 points 5.4 rebounds and 3.5 assists Donovan Mitchell this last season averaged 20.5 points, 3.7 rebounds, and 3.7 assists. So virtually all the same, just about one points per game difference and about one and a half rebounds per game difference go to Gordon Hayward, which, I mean, you know, Gordon Hayward's got a few inches of height on him. You'd expect him to possibly get one or two more rebounds. But other than that, those numbers are very close, almost identical with somebody who just got a huge max contract versus a rookie coming in that a lot of people thought would be good but nowhere near what he is so yeah i totally agree all right so i have this question here all right go for it all right so you know everyone gives jason tatum a little pass because you know he's like you know third or fourth fiddle on boston Uh fully healthy and during the season and so if jason tatum were drafted by the Jazz and not Donovan Mitchell, do you think Jason uh-huh. Tatum would have the same type of impact on the Jazz or not? Personally, no, not a chance. And here's why. I think Tatum would probably have as good or a little better numbers than he is on Boston. Um, so I think he'd still be an impact player, probably be a starter, probably be one of their top three players um but donovan mitchell just has that aggressiveness which has been my knock on tatum the whole time is that at times i feel like tatum and it might just be because he's a rookie you know he's very young he's trying to fit in but i think there are times tatum couldn't be more aggressive and donovan mitchell is the type of player who he's always so aggressive you almost have to tell him sometimes to not be so aggressive so it's easier to tame down a really aggressive player than bring one and make him more aggressive if you know what i mean so i personally think mitchell just it was the right fit and the right mentality you know player team fit that allows him to kind of take over for this team and that's what they needed whereas tatum i think would be a little more laid back just kind of trying to fit in but what do you think uh honestly i probably agree with you because um i think tatum you know has He'll have his time where he'll he'll be the lead dog and stuff, but I don't think he would yeah. be able to do it right out of the gate like Mitchell has. Yeah, Tatum, Tatum though has shown flashes. I mean, this playoffs, play uh, he's been he has the few moves. You know, some of his he does like a crossover through the legs into a pull up jumper, or a step back or fade away. He has great footwork that if he develops, man, I can totally see why the Celtics took him that was a great pick you know especially because a lot of people were talking about Josh Jackson now Josh Jackson was on 
I guess, uh, way <laughs> depleted roster on the on the Suns, so he didn't have much to work with in terms of teammates this year. Whereas Jason Tatum, you know, has one of the best coaches in the league, some great teammates, and maybe that's helping him to be a little better. But I think right now Jason Tatum's looking like a great pick, especially compared to if they would have picked Josh Jackson instead. All right, so moving on, Rodney. There's been a lot of controversy in the NBA with players and fans lately. I know you've seen Russell Westbrook getting yelled at by a fan, and then he yells back, um, you know, swipes at a phone. And then you see James Harden the other night. Fans are taking a video of him, kind of antagonizing him, and then he slaps a phone out of somebody's hands. So, NBA players are in the wrong for hitting phones out of players um, out of fans' hands and for yelling back at players, at fans that yell at them. Are they in the wrong or not? I think that's a iffy subject. It depends on situation, in my opinion. I feel like uh-huh. if the fan is really instigating that, like really, you know, putting their phones out in the players' faces or like yelling, you know, vulgar things at the players, then I don't think they're in the wrong. But most of the time, that that usually comes with the player that's losing or lost. So at the same time, it's like uh-huh. they're already frustrated or pissed off that they lost. And then having, you know, fans, you know, ridicule them and stuff kind of just like lets off a fuse. So it's yeah. like it's like it honestly just depends on the situation because you never see like players that win do that. So it's like very true whenever they lose they're already yeah like they're already like pissed off and like i feel like the only way yeah. they feel like they could take their ring out is on the fan so that's why i think it just depends on the situation yeah i think it does but i think overall players are in the wrong simply because it's their job to be composed part of their job is to go out there and in both of these instances the fan did not touch the player first they might have had their phone in their face like a paparazzi but just for example in celebrity society if they attack a paparazzi person and break their camera they can get charged with assault or things like that you see it all the time you know what happened to kanye at some point i don't want to get too much into kanye because that's a whole nother realm of topic we could get onto. but um so i i think the players And I think it's on the NBA to do something about it because you're right. The players that lose are the ones that is happening to because they're already upset. And it's human nature. Someone sticks a phone in your face or is yelling at you. You don't want to be nice to them. You want to yell back or you want to hit a phone out their hands or whatever. So you can't blame the players, but they still are in the wrong, I think. And I think it's up to the NBA to either push the fans back more so they're not within touching distance you know what i mean so maybe there's no chance for james harden to slap a fan's phone because they're three feet away and they can't reach james harden next time or um maybe they need to monitor better the language being used for example russell westbrook all he was talking about was utah fans saying derogatory things about his family and like you know if they're really saying that then there shouldn't be a fan there yelling that kind of stuff that's like you know that's vulgar you shouldn't be doing that so that fan should have been thrown out then or you know i i don't really know how it's currently handled um but 
I think they got to do something about it because, you know, we don't want to see a, another Malice in the Palace, Steven uh-huh. Jackson, Ron Artest, and the fans. <laughs> yeah. I'm the, but the thing is, the common denominator in both these situations is that they're jazz fans. Both both instances. So it's like... True. You True. haven't really seen it on either fan bases or any other fan bases but, those, but that one. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, is it something that you need to have during jazz games, like extra security? Because I guess their fans are, I guess, like the quote unquote bad guys now, like in the league. I don't know. I don't know if that was ever a real thing, but, and it's like Utah of all places too. Like I would expect, you know, some different places, but, um, Uh yeah, that's crazy. Um, that they, you know, I mean them getting mad i totally see it because you know like i said before like you're frustrated already and stuff and you got cameras like yeah if you're the little kid and then you know i mean obviously these are nba players but like if you're the little kid and you got made fun of or you lost and everyone's like ha 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 like everyone's like pointing cameras at you you'd be you know really pissed off even more so i don't know I mean, these NBA players, yeah, they're professionals, but they're also humans too. So that's why I kind of feel like it's, it depends on the situation. Yeah, yeah. The NBA's got to do something just because they can't be like reactive then. And like, you know, what if somebody courtside does this and an angry player like hits or pushes a fan? Then it's gone too far and they got to, you know, instill new rules then. They might as well do something now to prevent it. Because basketball, if you think about it, like the fans are really close to the players. Like on every drive, there's a chance that LeBron falls into the stands, into the media, or dies for a ball and ends up on the lap of fans. So they're right there. And security's good, but if a fan wanted to run on the floor, like they could do it. <laughs> if a player wanted to run into the stands, they could do it. We've seen it before. Like, so. It's kind of unique, but, you know, you don't want to restrict it too much because, like you were saying, if there's a little kid, like, some of the best moments are being courtside or being able to touch, like, LeBron's hand as he's walking in, give you a high five or throw you a an arm sleeve or something. <laughs> but, I don't know. Difficult. Difficult one. Um, but moving on. So, the Toronto Raptors... Um, after last night, now fall 0-3 to the Cavaliers. Um, it's not looking good for their chances. You know, they came in as a one seed. They looked like they had the best year in, in you know, franchise history. Looked like it was a different year. They got a bench finally. DeMar DeRozan was the man. And Kyle Lowry was his, his you know, sidekick. And now everything's kind of kind of blown up in their faces. So... Will the Toronto Raptors blow up their team in this offseason? Yes or no? I say they wouldn't break up their team, but I think they'd fire uh, Dwayne Casey. I think that they may think that this roster is good enough to compete, and it just may be the head coach, or they may trade some of their young players and try to get a little more established person just to be able to stop LeBron. That's like their only... Uh huh you know, big weakness right now. They literally have no one that can stop LeBron. And OG and Obi, like, he's a rookie. And 
he's good. I, I like him a lot, honestly, as a prospect. Um, yeah. Like, you're not going to guard arguably a top two player of all time with the rookie and expect to succeed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. They just need to find someone that can, you know, slow down LeBron. Like, you can't stop him. I mean, the last eight, wait, the last seven NBA Finals MVPs had to deal with LeBron, whether it was him or uh-huh. whoever was guarding him, whoever quote unquote slowed him down, won the MVP. So it's like, you can't really stop him. It's just honestly just about slowing him down and just doing whatever you did that worked during the regular season. Just keep continue mm-hmm. to do that, you know? So I don't think they'll blow it up, but I do have another question for you for yeah. you to decide who would you rather not be right now the Sixers down 0-3 to the Celtics or the Raptors down 0-3 to the Cavs like which situation is worse oh um I think the Raptors is worse and I'd rather not be the Raptors for a few reasons one I think there's a lot more pressure on them because they're number one seed like a lot was expected i mean a lot of people like myself and you and others still believe lebron was the one to beat whatever team he is on if they're good whether he's on the Cavs or another team like he's the one that's going to come out of the east or going to be a a contender so you know i didn't give the raptors too much credit but they came out with the one seed and you know, they got their shooters finally. They got um, Ibaka, Valachunas have been playing well. You know, they have a good, well-rounded team. So there's not really an excuse anymore. And um, to go along with that, so they're the number one seed. And they've been doing this longer. The Sixers are, you know, they weren't, they, they had a great season, but they kind of overachieved. And it was kind of, uh, I guess, they were underrated whereas the Raptors are now looking like they were overrated. So the Sixers are in a situation where I don't really think they have anything to lose because this season was already like kind of a, um, it was great. You know, they can look at it as a, as a building point, regardless of how the series ends with the Celtics, you know, they, maybe they just weren't ready as a team, but they can get better and improve and they have a lot more years to do it. Whereas the Raptors, they're kind of, in no man's land and it might be time to trade either Lowry or DeRozan or something to make a change because it's not working I'm going to disagree with you I think it's the opposite I mean really yeah I think I would rather be the Raptors right now than the Sixers because the Raptors what's the you know the standings were final everyone knew the Cavs were going to beat the Raptors were uh-huh. but no one thought it was going to be 03 or 30 right now Cleveland but everyone kind of already knew the Cavs are going to get past the Raptors now on the other hand the Sixers yeah they you know sort of overachieved this season you know the season uh-huh. success etc cetera, etc cetera. but i mean they rode into the playoffs so hot on like what 16 game winning streak they beat the heat pretty handily like even though that was a hard series for them like, they beat them pretty, yeah. like, good. And everyone was riding the Sixers, like, OMG. Sixers could be in the finals. They could win the championship and beats this. You know, Ben Simmons, that, et cetera, et cetera. And Boston doesn't have 
their two best players. And Jalen Brown didn't even play game one. So to be down 0-3 to the Celtics team that's losing that's missing, you know, their three best players at one point in the series is kinda like disappointing in a sense. And even though like the Sixers are young or whatever, like they still have the two best players in this series. And for you to have the two best players in this series and be down 0-3 is very disappointing. Mm-hmm. And Boston's not gonna get any worse. Like they're gonna get better, you know? And if LeBron leaves, these two teams are the future of the East. And if they can't even beat, you know, the Celtics without Kyrie and Hayward, then it looks like the C's are going to own the East for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, as of right now, I mean, obviously yeah. those players can improve, you know. But it's kind of this this playoffs has kind of been telling and kind of exposed a different number of teams here. Yeah, I mean, my my problem with the Sixers, I guess, is Ben Simmons is great, but he just doesn't have the ability to score right now at a at an like expert level, um, like a caliber of a Donovan Mitchell as a rookie who can be a go to scorer. Ben Simmons is a playmaker, which is great. And it's it's reminds me so much of LeBron, especially early in his career, where LeBron would make the plays the whole game, but then at the end of the game, you know, he's still trying to make plays for others, but um, it wasn't paying off. You know, he might make a good pass, but somebody in the corner doesn't hit the open shot, and it looks like, you know, nobody notices that really, and they just look at Ben Simmons and say, oh, you didn't score any points in the fourth quarter, or you had one point this game, which you should have had more than one point. Let's be real about that. But, you know, it's it's he's a playmaker, but not necessarily the scorer, which the Sixers don't really have anyone that can do that. Like, Saric is is good, but if he's your go-to scorer down the stretch, like, you know, he's one of the only ones that can create his own shot. J.J. Redick, maybe, but he's a spot-up shooter. Bellinelli's a spot-up shooter. Embiid is good, but, I mean, you know, the way the NBA's gone recently and if if uh al horford is a great defender we saw the other night you know blocking one of Embiid's shots in the clutch making the plays on the offensive end but the other side of this is i know the celtics have a depleted roster but their coaching dude is out of this world brad stevens has done an amazing job like I, I haven't seen a coach like this make an impact in a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's definitely, like, a transcendent coach. Like, honestly, I think he's a once-in-a-generation type coach. Like, no matter who he has, that team is going to yeah. be better. Like, they're not going to slouch. Or, and I think Daddy H should get some credit, too, because he sort of figured mm-hmm. out Brad Stevens, in a sense, and... He gets players that fits his system, no matter, you know, how talented they are. Like, they're going to play hard. They're going to play good defense. You know, they're most likely going to be able to hit the three. And, you know, they just guys uh-huh. that fits his system with the ball. They just they just play good basketball, honestly. And that's, that's what you need in the NBA with so much talent. You just need good basketball. Good basketball talent, like, can't beat that. Yeah, he's his basketball mind and his ability to draw plays, 
like is insane. I mean, most coaches, I'd say most coaches usually either have one, like a set of plays. Like, for example, you know, on all the teams I've been on, we have a uh, an out-of-bounds play or something that we would run in a certain situation at the end of a game that we've practiced. Or we have a end-of-game play that if there's 10 seconds left, we run this and we think we can get a good shot out of it. This guy's literally drawing up a play in a timeout at the end of a game that nobody's ran before, explaining everyone's position because he thinks that's the specific play that will win him the game. And Al Horford talked about it, you know, in the post-game interview. Like, Brad Stevens just drew up that play, you know, at the end of the game. And Al Horford was thinking, like, what is he doing? Like, this is going to work? And it worked perfectly. He got a layup and they won the game. So, you know... Every once in a while, you get a coach like this, but it's not often, and he's doing great things with that team. Okay. All right, so I have one more question for you. I think yeah, this go one's for a it. good one. I think this one's a good one. I've been hearing some rumblings about Kawhi. Obviously, you know, he's a disgruntled star in San Antonio, uh-huh. and uh, the reports are saying how the Spurs, if they do trade him, would only trade him east. Do you think the Celtics could be better off just trading Kyrie for Kawhi straight up and just keep the Whoa. roster that they have now? What do you think about trading that? Kyrie for Kawhi straight up? No, I don't personally. You don't think so? Well, that's just a whole different dynamic to me. Like, Kawhi is a wing Kyrie's a point Terry Rozier's been playing good and do they need I just think Kyrie's a better player overall I mean I know Kawhi's got locked down D but for this team you know they got Gordon Hayward they got plenty of wings they got Hayward Tatum and you know Jalen all out on the wing Jalen Brown so they got wing players. They even got one, you know, one of the Morris brothers. Couldn't tell you which one it is, but he's there as a forward. So I just, I don't see it being worth it, especially because they're both kind of injury prone. So Kyrie's better. I I don't know. What what's your what's your take? I I just think of it from a defensive standpoint, because like uh-huh. if you trade Kyrie. You know, they can still sign smart. They still have Terry, scary Terry. So they'd have point guards. And Terry Rozier is definitely, you know, just showing out this playoffs that he can be, you know, a bigger player than what yeah. he is. So if you have a defensive team of Terry Rozier, you know, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Kawhi Leonard. Like if LeBron stays in the East, Kawhi Leonard's the answer for LeBron. You know what I mean? That's the only way you're getting over the top of LeBron in the East. And Al Horford, like Al Horford's in the running for defensive player of the year. Now, if you match him with Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Smart, like teams would have a hard time scoring 90 points on this team. Don't you think? My opinion, I just think having a player like Kyrie with his offensive scoring ability, we saw with him on the Cavaliers that you know, they don't win that championship without Kyrie specifically. He was a 40-point scorer in multiple games in the finals. 
He's the one who hit the go-ahead bucket over Steph Curry. He's got that scoring ability that is one of a kind. There's very few players in the league at any time that has that, and he has it. Kawhi's great. He's a great defender, especially against LeBron James, so that would give them help. But uh, personally, I just wouldn't make that trade. It's just too much risk involved, and the fans, you know, everyone would be like, you just traded away Kyrie, and any excuse, you know, if they're if they're struggling, it'd be like, oh, we had Kyrie and we gave him up. What are we thinking, you know? No, I I get that, but the thing is, both players are coming off injury. Both players have the same exact contract. They're both free uh-huh. agents at the same exact time. So it's like, the thing with Kawhi is like, I just think that he's the missing piece to what they would need defensively. And like Brad Stevens is obviously one of the best coaches. So he'd figure it out in terms of like their system and what they need. Uh-huh. And if you can remember Kawhi last year in the playoffs, like he was everything for the Spurs in like the fourth quarter. Like he uh-huh. he has that like post up fadeaway like you know he can dribble pull up you know run some pick and rolls with him so obviously he's not Kyrie yeah. with the eye candy in terms of scoring but I think he could match production that Kyrie would bring more efficiently too because if Kyrie's like not hitting then he's gonna put up a lot more shots and I feel like Kawhi is a lot more uh-huh. efficient scorer than Kyrie is. Um, uh-huh. So, I mean, it's just something to think about. Like, I was just hearing, I someone brought that up to me, and I was like, wow, that actually, like, isn't as bad as it sounds, if you really think about it. And I just wanted your opinion on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just from a, a standpoint of basketball, like, as a basketball fan, I just, I would love to see that. Like, just see what the Spurs would be like and what the Celtics would be like. It would just be a whole new... You oh, know, the dynamic, Spurs would first. Sh- the Spurs would for sure do it. <laughs> I think the Spurs would for yeah. sure do it. They but would how would the- Kyrie fit in Pop's system though? I just that'd be weird too. Yeah, that would be weird. But I feel like Pop would figure it out because he'd have him and Lamarcus, and then they'd have shooters around them. Honestly, they'd find some like uh-huh. you know, some European shooters we've never heard about. They'll just come in and shoot forty five percent. True. Honestly. Yeah, we we'll see. <laughs> that would be crazy. I like I'm. I am like, kind of like excited for this off season because I feel like it'll kind of be like last off season. Maybe not as crazy, but it'll definitely like be like one of the better off seasons. I feel like. Definitely. I mean, the Laker fan in me is. I can't wait till the off season. Because I want to see if they can sign somebody big. You know, there's going to be so much movement. I mean, anytime LeBron James is a free agent, it's going to be insane. So there's other big players like Paul George, Boogie Cousins, um, you know, just big names and role players that can change the tides of the league. And we could be seeing different teams competing for championships. So that's always fun. I'm excited. You're excited. So moving on, one more you decide question for you. This isn't so much about basketball, but as it is individual players. But 
Is Rajon Rondo more antagonizing and annoying than Draymond Green? Yes or no? No. Not at all. Not no? even close. <laughs> not even close. I don't think it's even close. I think Draymond has that title since, what, 15? That's, that's all it is. I don't think Rondo... I think maybe in the NBA circle, like, you know, like that, that NBA circle, maybe Rondo may have that chance. But, like, I feel like public perception and, like, my opinion, no way. Like, Charles Barkley would never come out to the, on the media and say, I'd want to punch Rajon Rondo in the face. And he said that about j So, well, I don't... Y- you make good points, but my my argument is like a more widespread. And I'm looking at, for example, Steve Kerr was just quoted as saying, if Draymond wasn't on his team, yeah, nobody would like him. Nobody on the Warriors would like him, but he's on their team. And when you have a player like that on your team, you love him. Now, Rondo has been known in the past for being the exact opposite. He's been, he's had issues with the Celtics. That's why he had to leave. He had issues with Ray Allen while he was on the Celtics. He had issues when he went to the Dallas Mavericks and he sat out and eventually left or got traded. I forgot exactly how that played out. Um, But he's been known as being like, you know, malcontent and upset and teammates he, he got D-Wade and Jimmy Butler mad at him in Chicago, which kind of forced his way out of there. And so when I look at it, it's he's not just antagonizing other players. For example, the reason this came up was because in this series, obviously, Draymond and Rajon Rondo have been going at each other in the Pelicans Warriors series. And they've been doing different things. Rondo rubbing sweat on the ball while Draymond's going to shoot a free throw. Draymond just and getting in the face of rondo them john at each other so on the court yeah draymond's probably more antagonizing in the sense of players hate him because he's always talking trash always yelling always like playing with a huge chip on his shoulder but when i look at rajon rondo he's antagonizing sometimes to his own teammates and players trying to be the coach on the floor too much more than the head coach and having disagreements and so i gotta go with rondo man he's everywhere he's gone it's not really ended very well with him leaving and that's why he's been forced out of situations Uh uh-huh um the thing with rondo is i just get this sense of feeling that if he feels that he knows more than you he's gonna like let you know and uh-huh, the thing uh-huh. with him, like he's just so has such a good basketball mind. I mean, to be a guy without a jump shot and to average, you know, the amount of assists he has over his career, like you have to be like you know really smart. And yeah, like he's yeah. played with great talent and stuff too. But at the same time, that's just how he is. And I feel like the reason why I feel like everyone feels the way Draymond does is if. I just feel that if Draymond wasn't on the Warriors, he would not be this way, if that makes sense. And Rondo shows the track records, like, wherever he is, that's who he is. You know what I'm saying? You know what you're signing up for with Rondo. But I feel like if, you know, Draymond Green was drafted to the Suns and 
played for the Suns and how bad they've been the past like three or four years. I don't think one, he'd be an all-star and I don't think two, he'd have like the voice and the platform that he has right now as to um, what he's doing and all that other stuff. You know what I mean? And Draymond's gotten away or not gotten away or like, I, w I don't want to say gotten away, but he's also done a lot of things that have really affected the NBA landscape. Like, you know, the kicking Steven Adams in the balls like during the game, you know, getting suspended game for game five, like when the, everyone thought the Warriors should have won that championship and then Cleveland ended up winning. Like, you know what I mean? Like some of his antics go too far to where it sort of costs the team in a sense. And Rondo, he may cost the team like outside of the court, but on the court, he he's usually mellowed down. He's usually not, you know, you know, all hyped up or all up in causing trouble or anything. Maybe with Draymond this series, but usually you don't really get that from Rondo. So that's why I just feel like um, it's Draymond. And it's just easier to see Draymond. Like, you know what I mean? That's 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 my big thing. Yeah, like, it's easier yeah. to see Draymond and his antics and how, you know, loud and when they're at home, like how he's like playing into a crowd. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, it's just like, um, it's just this, this, just the showing of it. And it's like, it just, that just brings me kind of back to why, like, everyone started hating LeBron when he went to the Heat and he's like, you know, not one, not two, not three. And everyone was just like, dude, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that really is what yeah. brought on all that hate to LeBron because of that whole press conference and stuff. And it's whatever Draymond does isn't as big as that, but it's like all of it added up is kind of like sort of what that is in the terms of like the average fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to hate on Draymond right now, especially because he's in the spotlight, though, and he's on, like, the most hated team in the league and one of the most loved teams in the league. But because, you know, KD went there, and they're always, as a collective team, they complain to the refs probably more than any team out there. Like, between KD and Draymond themselves, they get ejected or get technicals like at the highest rate in the league. So it's it's easier. Like, I, I understand what you're saying. Sometimes he goes too far like he did in the finals, which ended up costing him being suspended because of his, you know, anger issues. He got technicals and flagrants and got suspended. So I agree with that. But I just I think more people would rather have Draymond on their team than Rondo for the most part. And so I think it depends on the team. I think that 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 can be a debate for another day, but I think it depends on the surrounding team. Honestly, I um, don't know. Dude. Like, Rayshon Rondo is known as a bad teammate who only shows up in the playoffs. Draymond shows up every game, regardless. You got he's got the fire to win every game, and he's so easy to play with. He'll pass the ball to anybody. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. And Rajon Rondo, if he's not having the ball in his hands the whole game, getting his 15 assists, he's not even trying on the court. And he can't do anything besides handle the ball because he can't shoot. So he can't play off the ball where Draymond can play off the ball or he's willing to is what I'm saying. He's willing to where Rondo is not willing. 
Rondo's not willing to let somebody else run the team virtually. Like, yes, there's a coach, but on the floor, Rondo's calling the shots. He's the one saying, AD, get on the block. And then throws it to Holiday, and Holiday throws it to AD. Or Rondo's the one running down, probing through the lane, and passing the ball only when he sees his assist open up for Holiday. So, like, I don't know. That's a debate for another day. Moving on. So, before we get into our last category of underrated, overrated, or just right, where we have two good debates to go over, what we got here is a new a new bit we're doing called Where Is He Today? And it goes over, we're going to be reviewing like an uh, old retired NBA player or something like that, that maybe you forgot about or something, and we just kind of look at where they are today. Um, so today, we're going to look at Stefan Marbury. Now... If you know anything about Stefan Marbury, you know he came in in like the late 90s, early 2000s, was an electrifying guard out of Georgia Tech, 6'2". Um, kind of reminded me a lot of uh, D. Rose style. Like if you're a more modern basketball player, you know D. Rose. Well, Stefan Marbury was kind of like that before Derrick Rose. Really athletic, short guard that could just do everything on the floor and be the best player on the floor at any given time and could really score the ball. So he had a great career, um, but he kind of ended up having to leave the NBA a little early. His his style kind of faded out of the league, and he just, I guess, wasn't good enough injuries as well. But what he did do was he went over to China, and he has had an outstanding career in China um, that... If you follow basketball, maybe you've heard, but to the point where he's won multiple championships in the CBA league over there, the China Basketball Association, and um, he's won MVPs. He's even got a statue recently built for him. Like Rodney has told me multiple times that it's almost like he's the, the Michael Jordan of basketball over there in China in a sense of he's like their guy. He's a legend. Um, and do you remember, Rodney, that um, Stefan Marbury had his own clothing line back back in the day called oh, yeah, Starberry, Starberry, where you could buy shoes oh, for yeah. $15? Of course. <laughs> yeah, he's also, uh, he came out, you know, a couple of times and kind of called out Jordan as to, like, they get their shoes and products made uh-huh. at the same plant for, like, the same price, and Jordan just, like, overprices everything just because of his name. And stuff on Marbury. Yeah, like, that's not what I'm gonna do. I would charge you know, ten dollars, twenty dollars for these shoes and brand stuff. And I remember when that was like a hot craze. Honestly, it was for a little bit. Um. Yeah. It it really was because it is so true in a sense. I mean, these Jordan shoes are selling for. I mean, I'm guilty. I bought them before, like 150 plus per shoe. Some are like 200, 250. Not just Jordan too. Nike everything and those even those quality like some of the best basketball shoes on the market you know they probably cost less than a dollar in some cases or less than five u.s dollars when they're making them in such bulk to produce and stefan marbury was one of the first to say you know why are we making kids pay so much for shoes and he was trying to give back to the community and he developed a clothing line called Starberry where they literally sold basketball shoes for $15. I had like four pairs of them. (laughs) Like you could go to the store for the same price, buy 10 pairs of shoes. And 
you know, they were good. I mean, the quality, I gotta say, it wasn't, you know, as nice as some of the Jordans out there, but they were a good enough shoe that you could actually play basketball in them. You could wear them and you didn't, they weren't ugly. You know, you didn't feel like you were buying shoes, you know, at a thrift store or something. So anyway, with that, so he went to China. He had a great career. He just recently announced his retirement in China. So he's done playing ball now. But what he is doing that just came out pretty recently, he just formed a deal with investors in China to bring the Starberry brand back into the U.S. So the brand kind of died off when he went to China in the U.S. They weren't really selling anything. The store that he used to sell out of called Stephen Berry's, they went out of business. So he was left with no avenue to sell. He's had some shoes and the brand grown in China. Um, but now he just reached a deal to start producing and bringing the shoes and the clothing line back to America. So I guess be on the lookout for that. I don't really know where it'll be sold. Maybe online, maybe in some store somewhere. I don't know, but that's pretty unique. I mean, Stefan Marbury was a great player back in the day. What do you think? Man, uh, yeah, he had he had his time. Um, and with his you know great career in china like i think he's honestly in consideration for all the fame for the work that he did um uh-huh. you know in the league here you know his two-time all-star um yeah and all his work in china might honestly give him some hall of fame consideration so i mean if you're a hall of fame in anything hall of famer in anything that is obviously a great accomplishment, probably the greatest accomplishment, other than the accomplishments that you could have gotten out as a player. So if he's a Hall of Famer, then I mean it speaks for itself right there. Um, even for him being in consideration, for yeah, him, it speaks for it right there. So um, he obviously brought a different impact to the game than a lot of people, but he still made an impact. And I don't know. We'll have to see how the shoes sell here um i don't know if it'll do as well as it did or maybe it may be even better but it's definitely a type of product that would fit you know people of like the lower class than people that you know can't really afford you know jordans or anything like that so it'll definitely bring them a different Uh option of shoes to get etc yeah i agree it kind of reminds me of um, I don't know why this is reminding me of that, but Akon, <laughs> Akon used to be one of my favorite, uh, I guess you could say rapper, singer, whatever he did, pop star, but you know, where he had like a brief career, really popular, then kind of faded out of, out of, uh, the, the realm of influence. And he wasn't really as popular, just like Stefan Marbury had a great career for a while then just kind of faded away. But in behind the scenes, they're still doing great things, giving back to the communities that they came from. Like Akon, I mean, I don't know if you've heard about some of the work he's done in Africa with providing electricity to thousands of homes out there. He's just done great philanthropy work giving back. And I think that this is Stefan Marbury's way of giving back with giving affordable shoes to kids. You know, he didn't grow up in the best environment where he could afford jordans for 200 dollars, and he understands that and he's trying to give basketball shoes back to kids you know for less than 30 bucks i mean that's that's great so 
always good to hear hope the brand does well but we'll see only time will tell um all right so last topic of the day underrated overrated or just right there's a lot of uh, coaching positions or a few of them i guess open right now so i want to get to this talk about coaches it was just announced recently that david fisdale was hired by the new york knicks um and i got a question for you because david fisdale he has been very sought after by just about every of these openings in the job whether it's the bucks or maybe the hawks now or the suns he he was in the talks for all of these as being a candidate so lots of people want david fisdale the new york knicks got him but do you think david fisdale was overrated as a coach underrated or just right uh i may be a little biased but i'm gonna just say just right for right now um i think he did a fabulous job with the grizzlies i mean they made the playoffs uh-huh. his first year and he's one of those guys that's just like a pat riley disciple because i mean he was there with the big three in miami and whenever you come from like a pat riley type coaching tree um you get a lot of love it's uh-huh. sort of like the popovich tree like boots bootenholzer the atlanta's former coach you know brent brown the sixers coach now and uh, steve kerr even is from the pop tree like so all of these successful coaches um they have you know coaches that coached under them and stuff and fizdale is one of pat riley's guys and a lot of people know what pat riley brings to the table and so having one of the guys that used to work under him um uh-huh they feel that you know they may bring some of the philosophies that pat riley had and that's sort of what the knicks need right now they need that like the guy like fizdale to sort of just direct them they haven't had a coach that just been able to take control of the situation it's sort of been like the players in control of the coach and that's not how it's supposed to be in a lot of situations um so <laughs> I think that that was a great move. I think that's like one of the best moves the Knicks have made since Porzingis, honestly. Uh-huh. I think I think he's going to be, you know, a great coach for Porzingis. And honestly, Fisdale was the guy that really helped Bosch in Miami become what he was before he got hurt. Uh, Bosch, he helped Bosch, you know, develop that three-point shot. He helped Bosch really develop being into like the player that he was opposite of Toronto. Uh huh. Uh huh. And I think that'll be good for Porzingis, and we'll just have to see how management, you know, keys pieces some players around him. And honestly, I think the Knicks also made that move because they're trying to get LeBron, and LeBron loves Fisdale, so um, they're gonna try and you know get their two cents in. Hopefully, try to sway LeBron to New York, and you know, see what they can do there. I mean, I doubt that's gonna happen, but I mean. If LeBron can bring New York basketball back or go to L.A. and bring a championship to L.A., like, is he considered the GOAT uh-huh. then? Is he unquestionably considered the GOAT? <laughs> LeBron? Yeah, if he brings the championship to L.A. or New York. Uh, no, not to me. I mean, if you're asking me, you know what I'm going to say. So, but... He would, in most minds, yeah, that would be insane if he brought a championship to three different teams. 
and at all three different stages of his career I mean yes that would make it insane especially depending on the teams he had to beat and you know he's already solidified himself as being up there so I mean I don't know it's a it's it's it would help his argument yes but in terms of Fizdale dude I just he's a he seems like he'll be a great coach he's had a good track record in Miami for all those years under Spolstra he you know it seems like he, like you said he has a great relationship with LeBron he even went on vacation with LeBron a year ago with D Wade and their families like I remember that it was so yes there is that connection there and I think you're right the Knicks realize this is a good head coach and if we want to attract LeBron this is a great route to go so but in terms of overrated or underrated or just right I gotta say right now I think he's a little overrated in terms of coaching ability simply because there's just not a lot of coaching like statistics to show for his actual coaching ability like the teams in Miami were great but Spolstra was the head coach so we don't know there and he had one year in Memphis where they were okay they made the playoffs um but they didn't really do anything and I know Memphis was a weird situation but I'm just saying based off st- statistically there's nothing here that says you know this guy is like a Brad Stevens or a, a you know one of those other even a co- collegiate coaching career where you say this guy knows how to pe- bring people together and make them win I think that's still yet to be seen I mean this year with the Grizzlies before he was fired obviously they they sucked I mean they lost a lot of players like there was no chance for him to win there but I just think all this talk of him being such a great coach and I just haven't seen it enough to know if he's a great coach or if maybe he's a basketball mind but he's not a good coach I I don't know I think the thing is um the Grizzlies were actually playing really well before he got fired and remember they uh-huh. started off so hot at the beginning of the year remember they were like the top team in the east uh, or in the West, sorry. Um, and Conley got hurt, and him and Gasol just didn't get along. And so the Memphis, you know, management, they took Gasol's side and fired Fisdale. And that's kind of... So, like, everyone at the time just felt like he kind of got screwed, in a sense, of that job. And they saw the potential in what he was doing in Memphis. And I think that's why he was uh-huh. such a hot such a hot commodity especially in a time nowadays like everyone saw what steve kerr did to golden state like mark jackson was a great coach but everyone saw what steve kerr did and everyone's looking for that like steve kerr type coach that's like kind of sitting around that oh if i had this guy and we change you know our philosophies a little bit he could elevate our teams because that a lot of teams are just kind of just stuck in that like we're not too bad to suck but we're not too good to compete so they're looking for that coach to really elevate them into that competition to win yeah i mean i i do think like for example steve kerr he's come in with a lot to work with though like when he came in obviously the warriors were great so it's still hard to t- it's hard to tell if c- can he be a good coach in an environment like the rebuilding New York Knicks 
Who knows? Yeah, they'd probably be okay. I don't know. There's different types of coaches out there. Steve Kerr, he he was choosing between Golden State and New York. And imagine if he would have picked the Knicks. Exactly. See, he, he might not even have a coaching job ever again. He might have been fired already and never get another job. So, like, for all we know, if Derek Fisher got hired on for the Warriors... He'd be talked about as one of the best coaches in the league right now. We just don't know because it's a lot based on the players you have. But if you would ask me the same question, overrated, underrated, or just right when Steve Kerr was being hired, I'd say he's overrated too because he had zero coaching experience and all these teams were willing to pay him huge money to come in and coach their teams. And we have no idea if he can coach. So, like... You just don't know. Yeah, you just don't know. And I hope Fizdale's a good coach. But just, I just think it's hard to, you just wonder why do they deserve this over somebody else who's been doing it for a while. Fizdale is an example where he paid his dues as an assistant. You know, he worked for Miami for close to 10 years as an assistant. And, um, you know, even before that, he's with Atlanta. Um, and so he's paid his dues and he deserves a shot. But do we know if he's going to be good? I don't, I don't. I think he'll be okay. But we'll see what he can do with the rebuilding team. So um, with that, it kind of brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you all for listening. Please remember that, you know, um, we're going to try to keep this coming as often as we can. And... We appreciate every every listener we get. Um, follow the social media pages, Bonafide Basketball. You can find us on all social media outlets. Um, LaFlair, we're sponsored by LaFlair Media. Rodney, tell them a little bit about what LaFlair got coming up. Yeah, so, yeah, LaFlair underscore media on Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, they're, you know, a media company that's sort of sponsoring Bonafide Basketball and a couple other things. We're going to have uh, freelance football and hybrid hip hop. So for those who are interested in football news and uh, hip hop news as well, we'll have that. And uh, we have a lot more coming as well. Um, we'll start having you know some video stuff too, some uh, more direct news on our pages as well. So if you want to keep up with you know day to day stuff, we'll have that on our pages, and then we'll come out with the podcast as whenever you know whenever it's needed sounds great all right well thank you guys for listening and see you next time